This is Leaders Who Scale, and I'm Jeff Siegel. I've worked with thousands of companies over the years, and I'm fascinated by seeing how many of them grow and scale. Join me as we learn from the leaders of growing companies and share that knowledge. Leaders Who Scale is sponsored by Siegel Solutions, providing world-class accounting, advisory, and QuickBooks and Acumatica Cloud ERP services. So today's guest, an expert at both commercial and residential security, an enthusiastic and accomplished entrepreneur. Over the last two years, he's worked to build his company through delivering peace of mind, strengthening his company's culture, and acquiring other similar companies. He recently started to develop a real estate investment portfolio focused on commercial properties. He's an exercise enthusiast, president and CEO of Command Corp. Welcome to the show, John Basic. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. Really excited to talk to you about this. I'm excited to have you. As I mentioned earlier, I just love to delve into the minds of leaders who, who kind of stay, scale and grow their companies with, with a passion that it sounds like you have. So with that being said, uh, I'd love to ask you, what is the most challenging but important aspect of scaling a company? Yeah, so that's a really good question. And so when we first started uh, doing acquisitions, I didn't really know the answer to that question. And I had to kind of figure it out along the way. Uh, one thing I've realized uh, that's the most important aspect of scaling is, is actually having the right people in the right positions uh, to help with that growth. And the culture of the company has to be uh, such that the employees are excited about scaling. If your employees aren't excited about scaling and if you don't have the right people, then it's not going to be successful. And so, you know, over the last two years, we've had to get the right people in place and we've had to develop that culture to where that's what people are excited about. And I think that's why we've we've had a successful uh, couple of years. Interesting. So what what comes first? I mean, do you have to work or does it happen at the same time? Did you have to work, was it intentional to scale and you had to bring in the right people or as you were going through this process, you were kind of bringing in the right people and maybe moving other people into other other positions or other seats on the bus, I guess I'll say. Yeah, so getting into acquisitions wasn't um, really something on my radar, uh, but when the pandemic came and our manufacturers started to close, um, their factories and so they weren't shipping out as much product uh, we saw our prices kept going up and one of the solutions that i saw to um, helping to reduce uh, the prices to our customers because when we increase our prices our customers get nervous and they want to they might want to cancel the services and so one of our first acquisitions that we made um, was to help increase our purchasing power so that we wouldn't be as impacted by those increased um, cost of goods sold. And so when we did that first acquisition, I didn't, I, I didn't really have any culture plans. I didn't really have any people plans in place. All I knew was when we did that acquisition, we were getting some really good employees in. Uh, we were getting a lot more purchasing power. And we, we also got uh, vehicles out of the deal as well. And used vehicles are really hard to come by. And so even if you can bring in more people, if you've got no vehicles to put them in, then you've got problems. And so that first acquisition solved a lot of the problems that we face as a pandemic. 
And after that, I realized that this was a really great way to grow our business. And so that's why we kept pursuing uh, more acquisitions after that, because um, we realized that was a great way to scale the business. And then that's when we sort of realized we had to focus on culture, getting the right employees in the right place. But it wasn't until after that first acquisition that we, we learned that. So it's interesting. It actually sounds like um, a positive, if there is one aspect of the pandemic was you know, obviously for you to make a, an acquisition and which kind of changed, it sounds like it changed the direction of where you would take in the company. It did. It completely changed the direction of the company, but I knew we had to do something. Um, and I was thinking about this last night as I was going over in my mind what we might talk about. And I remember you mentioned I'm an exercise enthusiast, which I am. <laughs> I go to the gym. Well, I used to go to the gym every morning at 5 a.m. Same people are there. It was great. And uh, the day before the state of Connecticut closed everything for two weeks, I was at the gym and we were standing around the water fountain. And some of the other people there that I go with were like, yeah, the gym's closing tomorrow. And I'm like, no, I don't <laughs> want the gym to close tomorrow <laughs> because we didn't really know what this whole thing was yet. And I just didn't want the gym to close the next day. And that was kind of my focus. Uh, but then, you know, I woke up the next morning and everything was going to be closed for two weeks. And so I started to get pretty nervous and I spent the weekend really nervous about the business. What's going to happen? You know, are we going to, is everything going to open back up in two weeks? Um, are, are, are our employees going to get sick? You know, are we going to be able to keep working? Like, are we going to make payroll? You know, I had all of these things that made me nervous. And I told my wife on Sunday, I said, you know, we're not going to let this this thing end us. And we're going to come out bigger and better and stronger than we were after this pandemic. And so that was sort of my goal mm -hmm. from the start of the pandemic was to find a way to continue business growth when we couldn't go into people's homes and businesses as much as we used to. Right. And, and so acquisitions solved a lot of problems in the pandemic kind of gave me the opportunity to be creative in a different way than I had originally anticipated. Interesting. Were you pre-pandemic on the kind of the, the mindset of scaling or was it just you're kind of in a growth mode just yeah, operationally? So, yeah. So my father-in-law, he, um, he sat me down actually a couple of years earlier and told me that the best way to grow your business is through acquisitions. And because that's what his career has been. And I didn't really take him seriously at the time, to be honest with you. I said, okay, you know, that's great, but I didn't know how to do that. Um, I don't have an MBA. I didn't know how to go out and buy another company. I've never had any of that kind of training. And, and he helped coach me a little bit on, on, on that process. Um, so I, I sort of had it in my mind. I was talking to another company to acquire them uh, pre-pandemic. Um, there was no offer letters or anything like that. We were just having a conversations. Um, and so, so the idea was there, but it was really the pandemic that motivated me to, to push in that direction, um, to grow the business, to make sure that our employees uh, kept getting paid. That was what was most important to me. And so how, so you've, how many acquisitions have you made now? Since so we're at number three and okay. we have yeah. two more that we're, hoping to complete uh, prior, uh, before the end of this year. Okay. And as far as like bringing the companies together, I mean, there, are there issues or even opportunities that you've, you've um, accomplished by doing this? 
with the couple that you've done now and uh, you see going forward as far as whether it's systems or people, um, you know, um, however, you're, as your company is growing, there's obviously, it sounds like there's could be different challenges because they're on different systems and such. Um, and maybe some good opportunities because you're getting good staff or team members. So do you want to talk about that real quick? I'm just curious how that plays into yeah. your acquisition so, uh, mindset. That's a good question too. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of challenges there when you merge multiple people together from different organizations. And because everybody has a different way of doing things, every company has kind of a different culture and a different way of doing things. And so when we brought these companies together and employees um, came from the other businesses and were rolled into ours, and then we hired new people to uh, assist with the administrative duties of, of running a larger company, um, we, we sort of put all these people together in the same room at the same time. And there's, there's a lot of challenges there with that. There's personality conflicts. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, we can work through that. And one of the things that I do prior to the acquisition is to talk to the people who are going to come on board to make sure that their, um, their personality is going to work in our organization. And sometimes uh, employees decide that they don't want to be a part of that. And so I've had employees who quit who came through from an acquisition because they felt that they just weren't a part of the culture. Um, I've had employees who worked for us prior to any of these acquisitions uh, decide to leave as well. And at the end of the day, it's all for the better because um, they just didn't fit in the new culture of a growing business. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that's, you know, that's okay. It kind of worked out for everybody. Yeah. No. So it sounds like I'm in your, in your decision to acquire some of these companies, how, I guess, I don't know if you could rate it, but how important or where would you rate the, the, I guess, the people versus the company, or maybe it's the same thing, right? So the, the, the people you're talking to and the culture, as opposed to just a company and, and revenues and financials and, and their own growth, you know, strategies. So if you had yeah. to look, when, when you're evaluating this, these companies, um, how, what, what plays in more, I guess, am I asking? Uh, people are more important. Okay. So the, the people, yeah. yeah, the people are absolutely what's most important because mm -hmm. let's say, for example, they have really strong financials, but maybe the, the financials are really strong because it was an owner operator situation where um, the owner of the company was, you know, lead technician, lead salesperson. And then he had a couple of other people helping him, you know, mm -hmm. maybe two or three employees. Um, in that case, when you lose that owner, a lot of that revenue can go away. And so it doesn't matter how strong their financials are. However, if you have a business that maybe they don't have the strongest financials, but they have a really, really good manager and a really good technician and a really good salesperson and maybe a really good uh, office administrative worker, then you can take that business, that awesome team, and you can grow it. But if they don't have those good people, then it's really, really challenging uh, to keep the customers. You know, our business, we, we're monitoring home security systems and business security systems. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people buy from a particular company because of an employee. It almost has nothing to do with the brand or the equipment. It has everything to do with the employee that they're dealing with. And if you want to keep those customers, 
then you need those employees who are going to help you keep those customers. So how do you go? I mean, the ones that don't come with you, or I guess the ones that do, how do you evaluate them or how do you hire? Because it sounds like employees, you know, in a company like yours, it's scaling or it's biggest resource. So I'm just curious, are you, do you look at traits or do you do personality tests? I mean, how, how do you hire for your, your team? Yeah. So that's a good question. So uh, my process is we typically do a real basic interview at first. Um, I spend most of our first interview just explaining to them uh, what the company vision is, uh, what our core values are. We have a set of core values that we as a management team came up through uh, the implementation of the entrepreneurial operating system that's played a big part in scaling our business. Mm -hmm. And so I explained to the candidate who we are and what we want to do. And I ask them point blank, are you interested in being in a company that's going to grow? And, uh, and are you willing to live and breathe by these core values? Because these are the core values that are most important to our business. And we hire and fire people based on these core values. And so if they're good with that first conversation, and then we kind of go into more what their skill sets are. And, and we go into a leadership uh, styles quiz that we, we have everybody go through. And, and then, you know, if everything looks good and if their leadership style um, works with the rest of the company, um, that's when we bring them on board. No, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned uh, EOS because in my travels, um, you know, see all different, I, I, I see a common trait uh, even with people I talk to that they all operate under a system and EOS is one of them. And, um, you know, one of the things that you, we were just talking about people is that uh, the things that one of the tools in EOS that I've seen is that accountability chart. And then, um, you know, how people rank, you know, to your core values. So you've mentioned both core values and people. So I'm just, do you go through, I guess, a couple of questions. First of all, has, can you talk to e, the EOS system, how it's helped you or, um, with this? And if you're, are you still on it and do people buy into it? And then do you actually look at on a regular basis, your people and how they um, rank against your core values? Hmm. So all good questions. So um, we, we do run on, on EOS for the most part, we're still in the implementation process. Um, so we're still learning about how it works. And it's helped our, our business run a little more uh, efficiently. Mm -hmm. And one of the, the greatest parts that came out of it was actually, uh, I don't have to be involved in a lot of the smaller day-to-day -day, uh, decisions of the business. It used to be that I had to be involved in every single smoke detector replacement or door contact replacement. And it was a constant, hey, you know, should we replace this? Should we not replace this? You know, what kind of discount can we give to the customer? And I was making a lot of those decisions, but through the implementation of uh, EOS and through our implementer that we work with, and that's how, you know, that's how I met you, right? Because he mm -hmm. worked with you too. Right. Um, you know, we've, we've moved people around within the organization. We've given them uh, different uh, job titles and different responsibilities. And that's helped to uh, have the company run a little more effectively. Interesting. I don't know. I think I might've answered your questions. I can't remember. Yeah, there was a lot there. So I, I threw a, a bunch at, at you at the same time. So, um, but it, one of the biggest things that sounds like is you do have a system EOS. Um, there's a, 
bunch of them out there. And I, I think whatever works for whatever for the company is what works. So I think I've seen people on um, scaling up, I think, obviously EOS, um, uh, leaders who have business coaches, um, do, who actually that that's a good question. Do you, where do you look for guidance? Cause I'm not sure how big your management team is. We didn't really talk about that, but um, you know, do you go, do you have a coach? Um, do you, you know, look, look elsewhere. I'm just curious how, as a leader, yeah. what you, where you go to for, for guidance when you need help. So that's another good question. And uh, it was, um, you know, in the beginning, I went to a lot of different people. When I was in, in school, I, I went to the LDS Business College. I got a degree in uh, business management, an associate's degree in business management there. And one of my teachers there told me that you need to build a board of directors for your life. And he's not talking about the board of directors for your company, just board of directors for your life. And you kind of pick a couple of mentors and place them on your uh, imaginary board. And those are the kinds of people you go to for different questions. And so when I first started, I had a lot of, I don't want to say a lot. I probably had four or five uh, people I would consider mentors who were helping me. And I'd go to them and I asked them questions. And then I was actually going through TikTok one day and I don't remember who it was on there. And there's some good stuff on there, believe it or not. There's a lot of good stuff on there. Um, but, but I was going through there and the guy said, I don't know who it was, but he said, I challenge you to pick one mentor one philosophy. Um, and that's what you focus on for the next year. Because I realized that I was going to different mentors and, and sometimes they're giving conflicting information. And it's not that they were, it was bad information, but I needed to become more focused. And so about six months ago, uh, I became a lot more focused on uh, Michael McAllowitz books. Okay. Yeah. He writes some great books. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm, I'm really focused on a lot of his methods really more than anything alongside, uh, EOS. And so that's really where, um, I go for a lot of my, um, guidance, I guess, and, and my learning and we're, we're really, um, strong in profit first and his clockwork, uh, book that has helped us a lot. Yeah. I, Mike. Mike's been around a, a while. It sounds like, um, actually I know for sure I've been to a couple of his classes. So profit first, we don't use it here, but, um, and you could probably talk briefly about it, but I think it helps you financially, right. With moving your money around and taking profit out first, <laughs> um, as opposed to seeing what's left on the bottom line. I don't know if you want to just briefly talk about that, how it's helped you with your, your yeah. company. Yeah. Sure. So we, we have, basically you have several different bank accounts. Um, you have one account that's dedicated to all of your receivables. All of your income is going to go into that one bank account. And then uh, you try to do it. And it's, it take, it took us like 18 months to get to this point, just to mm -hmm. be clear. <laughs> um, and th then basically once a week, you take uh, different percentages and you put them in different buckets. And so we have uh, a different account for all of our payables, all of our payables, go out of there, we take a percentage out of the income account, put it in there, and then we pay our bills out of that account. And then we have an account for uh, owner's profit. And so that's my money. And I take a percentage and I put that in, into for my distributions. And then there's a tax account that goes for paying all of our income taxes, my income taxes, the company's income taxes. And then we recently put in a new account just for sales tax. 
Um, sales tax is, is a, a big burden on our business and we want to make sure that we're able to pay um, what customers are paying us. And so um, that's kind of how we divide things out. And it really does help you to see where all the money's coming, where all the money's going. And if you don't have enough money in your payables account, it makes you look at, well, why don't I have enough money? And, you know, was it because we hired too many people? Was it because we're spending money in areas we shouldn't be spending money in? And so it's helped us to identify ways that we can reduce some of our costs without impacting the actual business and the quality of the services that we deliver. Yeah, so no, I, Profit it, First has been big in that. It sounds great. I mean, even at the, the point where you are taking a percentage of the profits out too, you're allocating it right away. Because, you know, I see companies that don't, really grow or they're very stagnant and the bottom line is not much there and the top line is not much there either but it sounds like you've you've got you know at least this um profit first will help helps you take out the money that's you know your profit so yeah, uh, yeah and a lot of the money that i take out i actually so i don't i i try to do everything i can not to plow it back in in the form mm -hmm. of paying bills but i do believe in reinvesting it in the business and so if I need to put a little money back in because we need to hire another employee to make our, our company run a little more effectively, then, then I put some money back in. Or if we're going to do an acquisition, I take the, the money to do the acquisition to fund it out of, out of my distributions um, rather than our, like our payables account. So it is what allows us to scale. So as, as far as getting back to scaling and, I, and the acquisitions you made, are they all local? Do you have any, you know, with, with COVID, a lot of people want to work remote. Um, I'm just curious how your workforce and these acquisitions, you know, how are you able to manage them if they're, if they're not local? Yeah. So going back to people, you need good people. Mm -hmm. So the first one I did was in New Hampshire is three hours away. Okay. So that was a serious challenge. Um, and for the first two months, I was driving up there every week. Um, again, fortunately, because of the pandemic, my kids were being homeschooled that year. And so we went up and stayed in um, this hotel up there with a nice pool. And my kids were doing homeschool stuff at the, the table, you know, there in the hotel room and swimming in the pool all day uh, while I was going to you know, to work at this new business that I just bought and trying to help everything out. And so I was there up, uh, up there for several weeks, um, put like 20,000 miles on my car in the first year, just <laughs> driving back and forth. Um, but after about six months, you know, it, it really started to run pretty well on its own. And, you know, the, the teams work very well together up there and they work uh, together very well with our, our core team here in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. um, and so I don't think it matters how far away you are, you know, as long as you're willing to commit that first little bit of time to making sure they know that you're there and present, um, that's, what's important because the, that company I bought in New Hampshire, they had actually sold out, um, a few years prior to another business and it wasn't in that acquisition was not successful because the owners that had bought the company. I, I think it might've been 10 years ago. I, I can't really remember. I don't remember how long ago it was. The owners had never showed up. Oh. And so the employees, you know, the owners kept saying, yeah, we'll, we'll be there. We'll be there. We'll be there. And I think like a year or two went by and they never showed up. And so the employees were like, I don't care who these people are. And so I knew that. So I knew it was important to be physically present there 
in the beginning. And I know those employees definitely appreciated that because it wasn't just, yeah, I'll come sometime and check in on you. It was, hey, I'm, I'm here to work. And I, do, I've done, I did service calls with them. I did installs with them. I did invoicing with them. I did you know, uh, sales estimates with them. I did everything with them. And so they knew that I wasn't just some guy buying their company, but I, I know almost everything there is to know about this business. So as far as the management, that's that, because they're again, three hours away, do you get up there much now? Or do you have, um, is this, you know, whoever's leading that operation, are they on your management team as far as the, the meetings you may have under EOS? Yep. <clears throat> Yeah, so the manager up there, he uh, he's very very good. We talk on a probably a daily basis, mm-hmm. um, and so we're in constant communication about uh, different things. And I don't get up there as much as I used to, which is good because the business is successful, it's profitable, um, and he's doing a phenomenal job up there. So, yeah, yeah, I don't have I don't have to go up as much. Well, I'd like to go up more, but I don't have to. Yeah, we um, in our in a conversation we had before this, you, you had mentioned some of the um, um, things that the issues that were solved by acquisitions, and one of them was dispatch. I think um, do you wanted to chat about that real quick. I'm just curious because it, it sounds like, and I never thought about this before, but um, if you don't have enough, if you have, you almost have too much of a resource or not enough resource for a certain um, aspect of your business an acquisition will help you and to fill that role um, that gets done. It sounds like maybe not efficiently or effectively if it's not staffed properly and you don't have enough work for that role. Yeah. So, and it kind of comes down to the division of labor, who's responsible for what. And uh, when you're really small, a lot of times the owner is the salesman, he's the lead technician, he's the manager, and he's the, um, the accountant, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> or the bookkeeper, I should say. Um, you know, in, in a really small organization, a lot of times uh, people play multiple roles and they have too many different hats. And so because of that, they're not really efficient at any one task and they're spread too thin, they get stressed out and the customers aren't as well taken care of because the guy who's programming alarm panels is also the guy who's doing the invoicing and he'll get a call from a technician to do this and then, then get distracted and not invoice. And so, or, or whatever the case is, too many hats. And so when you grow the business and you bring in this additional revenue, particularly our business, because we have monthly subscriptions. And so by buying another company, we were able to bring in a significant amount of more revenue to help pay for more administrative tasks, uh, or sorry, administrative staff. And so the tasks that they do now are more specific. Um, Our employees can be focused more on one thing rather than five things. And so we recently hired a service dispatcher and that's all she does all day, every day. Mm -hmm. She doesn't do anything but dispatch the technicians, put the schedule together and communicate with the customers. So the customers know when we're coming and when we're not coming and when to expect us. And so by scaling, we're actually we increase our internal customer service staff quite a bit because of that, but we wouldn't have been able to do it without, without acquisitions, without growing. Yeah. I mean, I think people are, uh, that I've met are afraid to grow or sca- not afraid to grow, but afraid to scale because of the investment that it takes to possibly acquire a company. Um, but 
as you just mentioned, it sounds like, you know, to do, if you do it properly, you're actually going to be more efficient and it's going to recoup a lot more um, in the you know, long run as far as the right, um, some people not being stretched thin, wearing multiple hats, you could start becoming much more focused in their jobs and their tasks, I should say. So I think that's pretty, pretty yeah, it's one of those things I don't think gets thought of because people will look at a purchase price and just work on that only. Is it worth it? They don't realize yeah. the, um, it sounds like the um, advantages well, of doing it. One of the things that I think people are afraid of when they think about acquisitions mm -hmm. is going out and borrowing money to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's going to the SBA or uh, going to the bank or whatever. And I, ha I have never done that. I've never gone to a bank to borrow money to do an acquisition. And I also haven't paid cash. <laughs> so, so there's wow. ways to do it without yeah. borrowing the money uh, from a traditional lender and without uh, shelling out a ton of cash up front. And so, so, so it's, it's possible to do it. You just have to get creative and you have to work with the right people um, who want to sell to you. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, I will not do an acquisition that isn't uh, fun, uh, that isn't financed on this, on a seller's note. We won't do it yeah. um, because it's, it's, it's too risky. It's too risky to purchase another business on, on bank debt, because what if the business doesn't perform? Well, you still got to pay the bank back. Mm -hmm. But if you're doing it on a seller's note and your purchase agreement is written a certain way and the note is written a certain way, if the business doesn't perform and it's not your fault, then you have some recourse there to um, basically not have to pay the whole thing back. And to some people that may sound really bad, but part of it is making sure the business is successful. And owners who are selling their companies um, who have a really good company to sell, they're okay with a seller's note because they get an extra four and a half percent. First of all, mm -hmm. they get all that interest income on top of the purchase price. And so they get to be the bank and collect that interest. Yeah. Um, but they, they also want their business to succeed. You know, they built this business, you know, 30 years. I bought, I bought uh, one company. He had run the company for 30 years. He wanted it to succeed. Yeah. And so doing a seller's note for a four-year term keeps him interested. And so every once in a while, I call him up and I say, hey, I got a question. How do I handle this? You know, this is your customer for 30 years. And he helps me because yeah. he wants to keep getting his check. Right. Well, it sounds like, I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of trust also because yeah. you there could be uh, owners that are afraid that the new, the buyer will ruin their company. So you, you talk about culture earlier, but there's also that discussion you have with a buyer and a seller. There's, there's trust um, and probably learning a lot more about the person and not just looking at numbers like I mentioned earlier. Um, exactly, exactly. The companies that I've bought, I bought from good people mm -hmm. who wanted their business to succeed. And they all told me they liked me because I reminded of, them of who they were when they first started their company. And so like, I'm not this big hedge fund guy with all this money. Okay. I'm just a normal guy. And, and they just, they liked me and they sold to me. And part of this, the acquisition process is, is basically sharing with them who I am and what my goal is and what my vision is. Right. And I basically sell them on selling to me um, because I have had situations where I was up against 
other companies looking to acquire these businesses who had offered more money than I did. And, and they sold to me because they liked me because, you know, I'm passionate about this. It's not just, it's not a money thing. Well, I, this yeah. is a whole nother podcast we're going to have to do just on you know, <laughs> seller, how to buy a company with no money down type of thing um, or yeah. Yeah. seller financing. Um, uh, so just kind of moving a little forward, um, what what is probably your biggest challenge with scaling today or, or trying to grow? Um, is it, are you, it sounds like based on our discussion, you're, you're in the acquisition mode. That's, that's your vehicle to scale. So is it, is it finding other acquisition candidates? Um, is it, that's not a hard part. Okay. (laughs) That's easy. Yeah. I actually, I get quite a few because at this point I kind of have a little bit of a reputation. And so people approach me on a fairly regular basis, letting me know that they're going to be interested in selling you know, whether it's this year or next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a lot of brokers who call me too, um, because again, I kind of developed a reputation of successfully doing these acquisitions. And the biggest challenge more than anything is um, actually the, the kind of the marketing side of it, because we have changed our business model from advertising to sell to new customers to convincing the customers of these other companies that we are a good company to work with. And so there is some marketing there that we have to do to say, Hey, thousand customers that just came in from another, from an acquisition, this is who we are. We want to keep providing the same kind of service your old provider uh, gave to you. Um, and we're going to keep doing that. And, and there's, because we have to rebuild that whole trust. Mm even though that employee has come with us or, or that group of employees came with us and they trust them, they don't trust me yet. They don't know who I am. Yeah. And so, so we've got to create a marketing plan to market to them, to convince them that they can trust me too. Yeah. That's, that's always a challenge. Um, when there's a change, sometimes customers view that as, as an opportunity to look to, you know, look elsewhere possibly or, you know, see what else is around, right? Because they, they feel like they've, you know, um, there's a whole new ownership. They don't know them. So it's, so I, I would assume, I would assume that that's big for you to jump in when, once you acquire a company to really kind of build up that, you know, rapport with these clients and customer service and all that stuff. So I think that's yeah important. Um, and before we get into you, so I'd love to hear just a little bit about you yourself. Can you, any lessons learned that you'd want to share with, you know, um, pains or, you know, good, bad, ugly, whatever, in, in acquiring or growing your business? Lessons right? learned. Lots of lessons learned. <laughs> I think the biggest lesson is don't be afraid to make a mistake. You know, if you don't, if you don't try it, then you're never going to learn anything, especially but it doesn't matter if, especially if, if it's seller financing, right? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter how much training you have. If you've never done it, you've never done it and you're going to make mistakes. And and the thing is like, that's okay. Like, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Don't be afraid to learn from, from those mistakes and just keep moving forward. You just, you don't give up. That's the thing is you just don't give up. If you want to scale your, your business, if you want to acquire other businesses, you just Mm -hmm. go for it. Someone out there is going to be willing to sell you. One of the, the things that we're faced with right now that we, we 
maybe have never had in the, in the history of this country, we have a massive number of baby boomers who are looking to retire. There are millions of small yeah. businesses out there, laundry mats, convenience stores, local grocery stores, pharmacies, um, tons and tons of businesses, all kinds of crazy businesses, software companies. And these have been owner operated for 30 years. These baby boomers want to retire. They've got two, they've got three choices. They can close business, which leaves their employees with no paycheck anymore. That, that doesn't work for them. They can sell to a really big company. Mm -hmm. They don't want to do that because that really big company doesn't care about their customers. The third choice they have is to sell to a, another smaller company, like just like them. And so there's tons of opportunity right now. And, and, and any advice I'd give to your listeners would be go find that opportunity. Just go, go find it and start talking to these guys. Say, hey, I want to learn everything there is to learn about your business and I want to buy it from you. Yeah. No, that's good. I mean, there are people who are interested that if that's a great, great piece of advice. I mean, there are some people who will never do an acquisition and they're trying to grow other ways. Um, but just take the leap. Sounds like if you want to acquire, do the research and jump in and, and get yeah. the seller to finance. So that's right. That's the key. That's the All key. Right. Keep everybody engaged. <laughs> yes. So just to kind of pivot a little bit, uh, we haven't really talked much about you. So just take, take me back a little bit. Um, you know, I guess I'll say little, little John, but way back when, I'm not sure if you always had a business mind, this is what you wanted to do, you know, just kind of take me back a little bit, uh, coming out of college, you know, where you thought you were going to go, what you, you know, even before that, if you want to. Yeah. So we really got to go before that because okay. <laughs> my, uh, I've always, so I'll, I'll say this. Okay. When I was a freshman in high school, I was on the, um, the track and field team. And I was pretty good. I wasn't great, but I was pretty good. Mm -hmm. And then I got a job at Dunkin' Donuts. And the lady who trained me at Dunkin' Donuts helped me learn that I could make more money in tips per hour than in my hourly wage if I delivered exceptional customer service. And so she taught me, she said, she would say, you know, this guy comes in at this time every day and this is the coffee he orders. And these police officers come in this time every day as a group, and this is what they order. And so she kind of taught me to deliver exceptional customer service by having their coffee ready before they came into the, to the store. And so I learned real quickly that I could make a lot of money in tips. And so I actually quit sports because I wanted to go make some money. Um, but even before that, when I was younger, my dad had a small office building and he he seller financed, right? That I, I did this when I was like 10 years old. He seller financed a vending machine to me. Wow. And so he, yep, he bought the vending machine. Then I bought it from him. It took me like five years to pay him off. You know, <laughs> but he seller financed that vending machine for me. And then after that first vending machine was successful, I ended up buying like two others. And so I had a really big machine with a lot of uh, candy and chips and everything in it and soda in it. And then I had a coffee machine and then I had a smaller crank style machine that you put the coins in. Oh, yeah. Um, I still have have it, by the way. Uh, we don't use it anymore, though. People put that first but, ball they made on the wall. You put the vending machine in the corner, right? <laughs> yeah. But he taught me to, number one, I don't think he realized he was teaching me about seller financing, but he was. He taught me how to pay the electric bill because I had to pay him for electricity in the building. Mm -hmm. 
I gave them a cut of, even after I paid off the machines, I gave him a percentage. He taught me how to set pricing because I learned at first I was pricing it how I thought it should be priced. But then I learned that the guy who was buying would have to go to the convenience store down the street. He was willing to pay more because it was in the building. So I increased my prices. And, and so I sort of, I was always really interested in, in business and making money and in scaling business. And so I, I scaled my little vending machine venture. I never made a ton of money off of it, but it was tons of good lessons learned. And so, you know, I worked for him too. Uh, I worked in the security business from age, you know, 14 or 15, um, installing, servicing, inspecting fire alarms, burglar alarms. Um, I went through the apprenticeship program. So I'm a, I'm a licensed uh, low voltage contractor too. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, I've kind of done a little bit of everything I've had my hands on in, in, in this particular business, but my dad taught me how to be an entrepreneur. You know, he taught me to have that mindset and that's what I was interested in, in was business, was yeah. growing business. I have no formal training. You know, my wife, um, I went to college, the eldest business college. I studied management, mm -hmm. got my associate's degree. My wife uh, got pregnant that year and uh, she was finishing up her bachelor's degree. I needed to pay for that bachelor's degree. So I stopped going to school, went to work. Uh, helped her get her bachelor's degree. And by the time I ended up going back to school at five years later, I just realized that it, there wasn't anything there for me, really. Um, it was too much time to go to school, not enough time focusing on, on my business. Mm -hmm. Wow. No, I, I, it sounds like, you know, you had a real education with, you know, Dunkin' Donuts and, um, the vending machine working for your your dad so i mean that's you know that's true real life world life you know um experience so that's kind of cool yeah um and if you could go back you know and, and give yourself advice as far as even like starting at um command corp you know is there anything that you have done differently or change at all um so before i i give you that answer. I have no regrets. So I made plenty of mistakes, but I have no regrets because there's no way to learn like making mistakes. Mm -hmm. And if I could go back, I think I would have started doing acquisitions sooner because the, well, we're not a perfect company. Okay. We don't, we don't deliver perfectly every single time, but we, as uh, a more stable, a larger company today deliver greater peace of mind to our customers. I couldn't do that through organic growth. I tried to grow this business for eight years organically through sales. Mm -hmm. And I grew it quite a bit over that eight years, but it wasn't enough to staff up. It wasn't enough to pay for the service dispatcher. It wasn't enough to convert several of the part-time employees to full-time and it wasn't enough to to do wage increases you know we have more benefits uh, for our employees today than ever before and we do bigger raises and bigger bonuses and and so i would have started the acquisition sooner had i known that that would have been the outcome because because i guess one of the regrets i do have is i wish i could have 
I wish we could have given those employees those benefits sooner. Um, but we, we just couldn't afford to when we were smaller. Interesting. So um, it just raised one other question for me on your employees. Do you have the same employees that you started with? Or is there much turn since you've grown? Have the people stuck around or have you had to bring in other skill sets as you acquired these other companies and grew? Yeah. So um, we, we did uh, let some people go and we did um, and other people chose to leave. And because as we grew, um, some employees weren't interested. You know, they wanted to do the same, same old, same old, but the same old, same old wasn't good or good enough. And so, so they, they made the decision to exit on their own. And we had other employees who, um, one of our core values is peace of mind. Okay. That's very, very important to me. Everybody deserves peace of mind. Our customers, all of the employees, myself, our vendors, everybody deserves peace of mind. And so we had some employees that were not delivering peace of mind in, in their attitudes. And so we did have to, um, we, we did have to terminate those employees. And it was very, very hard because I grew up in this business. And, you know, one of them, the first one I let go, I literally, I, I've known him my entire life. I love the guy. He's a great guy. He taught me everything I know about installing, servicing, and maintaining security and fire alarm systems. Okay. He taught me everything. I rode with him for years in his truck as a teenager, mm. learning, learning that business. Wow. But his attitude was so bad um, towards his coworkers, towards myself, and towards the employees that we just had to let him go. And, and the company is much better for it today. The employees are happier. The employees who worked with um, him early on um, are much better employees today because they're happier when they come to work. Hmm. And so I, I think that answers your question. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I could go, I can go on and on, but, um, but it sounds like just to wrap this up, a big theme that we've kind of talked about, or you brought up a lot has been culture. And, you know, it sounds like it's like the biggest theme, right? you know, besides acquiring companies and growing, but how do yeah. you do that? And how do you do it in the framework of the people you're working with? You know, whether it's looking at a candidate and, and interviewing those people um, or looking at your internal folks and are they going to work or not? Um, yeah. It seems to me like it's just way up there at the top. So it's, it's um, culture. Culture is the most important. I'm actually doing an executive roundtable next month on culture. Okay. So it's, it's interesting that all got weaved in here um, without even thinking, I wasn't thinking about culture when we started talking um, and that you point back to your core values, but you mentioned core values about, you know, five or six times at least. Um, so, you know, something that I, I'm, a, I'm an accounting person more or less, and I, I do run a company like you, but my mindset is accounting most of the time. And so um, when, you know, I, you, you think about acquiring companies and growing companies, it's it, to me, it's a lot about numbers and stuff. But as I talk to other leaders, you know, it's about trust and culture and core values and people um, in this way at the top and, and actually finances are at the, in, in fact, I was going to say at the bottom, 
the finances will grow if you get the right culture and the right people. So it's, it's um, absolutely well, it's, it's, it's the lesson learned. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. So um, where can people find you? Um, so I'm on LinkedIn, obviously I'm not very active. <laughs> you're too busy acquiring companies. <laughs> I am. I am. And it's John B-A-Z-Y-K, right? Yep. John Yep. Yep. And so uh, when I first got started in the business, I actually, I was on social media a lot and I ended up making a lot of really good connections, but as the business has grown, I just, I don't have time for it anymore. Yeah. But if anybody wants to connect with me on LinkedIn, I, I get my messages and I do read my messages. Okay. And so I'm happy to have conversations with anyone uh, who wants to have a conversation or connect with me. That's all. Okay. And in your company website, you want to just throw that out there? Yeah. So uh, we have two websites. We have commandco.com, C-O-M-M-A-N-D-C-O.com. It's our primary website. Uh, but we also have advancedlockandalarm.com. And that's for our, our business in New Hampshire. Okay. So that's advancedlockandalarm.com and commandco.com. Awesome. And they can connect with you if they want to sell too, right? It sounds like, are you still looking for acquisitions? That sounds like it was always. Yeah. Okay. Good. Always. I mean, and it doesn't matter if it's a laundromat or a gas station. Um, you know, we're, we're interested in diversifying our, our portfolio. And so we were looking outside of the security industry as well. Okay. Um, but also inside the security industry. Sounds awesome. Well, I um, thank you, John. I think this is this is great. I learned a lot more. I mean, um, we work together, but there's a ton, you know, because we're on the accounting side. I learned a lot about growing and you know scaling and acquisitions and kind of what the more more important aspects of that are from your point of view, which is awesome. I want to thank everybody who's listening and watching. I encourage you to like and share. Um, you know, and if you learned something today or laughed or, you know, thought it was valuable, then um, tell somebody about this podcast. And uh, again, John, I thank you um, from the bottom of my heart. I just, uh, I think this was awesome. So yeah. thanks. Well, I appreciate the opportunity because I haven't shared any of this yet. <laughs> so, this is the first time I've shared, uh, I guess, the journey. Yep. In in one session. So I, I'm super appreciative of it. Yeah, no, I, again, I appreciate it. And uh, now you get to share it with hopefully hundreds of other entrepreneurs and people who want to scale and learn from someone like you. It's, it's, it's awesome. So I appreciate it. So thank you. And that wraps up another episode. Thank you for joining. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at leaderswhoscale.com. Leaders Who Scale is sponsored by Siegel Solutions, providing world-class services and cutting-edge tools that help businesses grow and succeed.